And so what we're going to do is we're going to break this up into two sections today. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is just respect for authority. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 today. We're also going to have it up on our screen. But Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, we're going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Let's go ahead and dive in. It says, everyone, everyone say, everyone, everyone, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God, who's challenged already. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes. Two, for these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. Who's challenged again? Say amen. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Oh Lord, we need to pray. Amen. God, we thank you for your word. God, even the parts that sometimes we read that we don't like, but God, you speak truth. And God, I pray with our feeble understanding sometimes that, Lord, truth will be revealed. God, we hear you clearly, and we respond with intent to follow out what we've learned. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote this at a time where the Roman government was taking control of all the nations around it. It was the largest territory of any existing governing body in the world's history. And the people were being taxed like never before. And when Paul says, pay your taxes, that is not what the people wanted to hear. Who hears pay your taxes and you're like, yeah, no thanks. I'd I'd much rather keep it. And so our knee-jerk reaction when we read these things is to rebel against it, to kick against it, and say, I don't like that at all. And so what I think we need to do is we need to look at the words of Paul that remind us God's instruction. And one of the first things he says is, All authority comes from God. The good, the bad, the ugly, it all comes from God. So ask yourself, is it appalling 
for you to know that not just the good leaders, but even the tyrants, God appoints. Why don't you think about the first king of Israel? The people of Israel, they were unlike any nation that was around them because every other nation appointed kings. Not for Israel. God was supposed to be the head. And they were just supposed to follow him. And, and then their leaders at the time were the priests. But Israel was looking around at the other nations and they said, we need a king. And God said specifically, that's not what I have for you. But they kept demanding a king. So God heard them and he decided to meet their demands and God appointed a man named Saul. I want you to listen to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. It says, Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Let me tell you about this man named Saul. Saul, Saul was a good-looking guy. He was a guy that, that the, the women loved and the men wanted to be like. And Saul, when he started out, he, he started out with the right heart. He was doing great things, and people were following him. But let me tell you, Saul started to get kind of a big head. He, he, he was doing things where he was having successes in war. People were following him, and all of a sudden, the power got to him. And then he started doing things out of order. And one of the things Saul did out of order was there in Israel, it was well known that it was the priest who made sacrifices to God. Well, Saul got impatient and he skipped that process. And so he made sacrifices to God instead. That was disobedience. And Samuel, the prophet, he declared after that incident that God would appoint a man after his own heart and that Saul would be replaced. And along came Israel's greatest king, David. So we see that God appoints good, but let me tell you about a man that God allowed to rule over Israel after King Hezekiah, who was also a good king. You know, Hezekiah comes in and Israel had slipped away from God and they were worshiping other idols. And Hezekiah, he tore those down and he returned Israel to following God. But Hezekiah's offspring was a man named Manasseh. Manasseh, as he was appointed, it started out he was very young. And so I'm sure they thought, here we have appointed someone good over us, but he became the worst king in Israel. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 1 through 3, listen to this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. 
He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles. He also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshipped them. Imagine just for a moment you have his father who has returned Israel back to serving God. They, people are going to the temple again and they are looking at the temple. They're looking at that innermost court and saying this is a place where God reigns. And now all of a sudden you have this King Manasseh that says, you know what, forget all that. Let's take God's house. Let's set up golden images, other gods in that place and you will go worship those gods there. That's what Manasseh did. This guy was so bad, he sacrificed his own children to these gods. And yet, it's clear by Romans 13, God appoints all leaders. Or I would like to state in people like Manasseh's case, he allows, he permits, because God knows the heart of his people. And through God's appointments, God draws hearts back to him. Are you hearing me, church? Who knows that your heart can waver at times? Who knows that the trials and the things you go through, your heart can waver at times. And God, he leads us through tests and trials that aren't always easy things in order for us to draw, draw, draw us back to him. And I don't know about you, but there are so many times I look at my life and things that are going on and think, God, what is it you are doing here? I don't understand. I don't like it. God, there's got to be a better plan. There's got to be a better way. But here's the other other thing that I know, God is all-knowing. God knows my past. God knows my future. God knows all the people around me and the impact that I can have, both negatively or positively. He knows their past and future. And he knows, oh, whoa, whoa, hey, ho, saved. There's a tablet on here, so I just, I just saved some money. Um, God knows my connection to them and whether or not it will positively or negatively affect them. He is setting up things that we never even see. He is preparing the future in a way that we can't possibly fathom or understand. And so God also appoints leaders not just for maybe what the people deserve. But God appoints leaders based on a future. Are you hearing me, church? God knows we do not. James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. I'm going to read that again. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, so we're talking about trials, right? We're talking about hardships in this life. And it says, afterward, everyone say afterward. They will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. 
So what this is promising is that day when you die to this earth, and you are now in eternity, you will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So for you, whether it's good leaders, bad leaders, oppressive governments, our response and faith are a testimony unto God. Church, we have to guard our hearts through those times because God wants your heart focused on a greater purpose. Eternity. I don't know about you, but I want to live life that one day when I die and I am standing before God, I have a clear conscience. I have a clear conscience for what I've done, how I responded to people, how I acted. And I can't tell you how many times I have heard Christians, they, they come to me wrestling over chapters like Romans 13 and what our response to government should be. I've heard questions like, when is the right time to overthrow them? When should we stand and fight? And i got to tell you, I understand having those feelings. In fact, I believe the less government we have, the better off we are. But we know our own strict measures or actions that once you decide to act, there's no going back on the things on the way things previously were. You can't go back. You can't put that back in a box. And it's not always for the better. So God instructs to submit to them, not avoid punishment. And that way we keep a clear conscience. Now, I want you to think that if, if you give respect and honor to those who are in authority above you, even if they don't deserve it, you in turn, what you are doing by your actions, you are bringing honor to God. Now, it's almost inevitable. After service, I'm going to have someone that's going to come up to me, and you will want to argue why you shouldn't do that. Pastor, I have this boss and you do not understand. This guy is a tyrant. He is not godly. And I have been appointed by God to fight him. God has given me this, this, this righteousness that I am going to handle this according to his will. God's got a plan. Now, I, I must say, I understand all those desires. But here's what I want you to consider. The manner in which you respond to people has an opportunity to draw them to God or draw them away from God. In the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel is about men who cho chose what is right to honor God and did it by respecting authority. And they still showed authority that they cannot compromise God's word. 
whether it was Daniel, whether it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they chose to do was honor God, but also honor the rules of the land. So here was this king, Nebuchadnezzar, bad guy. And he said, you know what? I agree with all my leaders. What we're going to do is we're going to set up a golden image, and everyone has to bow down and worship that image. And, and here were these, these young Hebrew men that said, we can't do that. That compromises our values. But they didn't do it in any manner of dishonor. They just said, we can't do that, and here's why. And so next thing you know, they are being punished because they would not compromise the word of God. The amazing thing I find out in that story, because they still gave respect and honor, because they didn't put up a fight, and they accepted the punishment coming to them, it changed the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. They, he was drawn unto God because of them. You know, in the early church, many of the apostles, they had a chance to display, display God in their own life. There was a young man named Stephen. And Stephen, because of his faith, because of his, his testimony and speaking about who Jesus Christ was, the crowd turned against him and they decided that they were going to stone him. And when he was being martyred, in his faith, he cried out to God. And I want you to hear what Stephen prayed right before he died. Acts chapter 7, verses 59 through 60. It says, as they stoned him. So the guy is getting pelted with rocks. And as they are stoning him, Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, and I believe he fell to his knees because as he was being pummeled, he knew that the right thing to do was he was bowing before his God. It wasn't the fact that he could no longer stand because he was being pelted. It was because he was compelled to do this. He shouted, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. There in that crowd of men who were stoning Stephen because they believed they were doing what is right was a young man named Saul. And a lot of this crowd, they were following the leadership of Saul. And so they took off their outer tunics, their, their, their cloaks, and they laid them at the feet of Saul as a sign of honor and respect. And they were following the orders of Saul that they were to kill Stephen, who was following out his faith after the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen prayed this prayer, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Saul, who eventually became the Apostle Paul, was the recipient of that prayer. Don't question the impact you can have by doing what is right in honoring God in submitting to authority. Do you hear me, church? Do you hear me? I know these words are challenging, but here is the reality. Stephen, in that moment, what he could do was he could die with a clear conscience knowing that he did his best to live for God, and he also accepted and embraced that he was going on to his eternal reward. That's what it's about, amen? 
That's really what it's about. And we can always argue or wrestle with how we can live our best life here on this earth. But trust me, church, God is much more concerned with your eternity with him. We need to embrace it. And so Paul goes on. He builds on top of this Romans chapter 13. And he transitions into love fulfilling God's requirements. Because this is a requirement from God. How are we going to do it? God's answer is love. So we need to learn to display God's love. Turn to Romans chapter 13. We're going to read verses 8 through 10 right now. It says, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So here if we can sum it up in one commandment, it's love your neighbor. And some of you might say, as Jesus was once asked, who is my neighbor? You know, a man asked Jesus that in Luke chapter 10. And Jesus responded by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this parable, three men passed by a man who had been physically attacked, and only one responded in a caring manner. It says in Luke 10, 36 through 37, it says, Now which of these three would you say was a good neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Responding to someone in mercy and love will never hinder your witness for who God is. I want you to think about this. Because there are times where offering mercy and love is going to be very painful for you. It's going to be very challenging to do because oftentimes it comes at the expense of our own emotions, things that we have been through. Think about it this way. Sin, it is defined as such because it is an offense against God. Yet through Jesus, we are offered forgiveness and God's mercy even though we don't deserve it. So things that we do in our life that are disobedience to God are deemed sin and God offers us this mercy and love through Jesus Christ that we might be able to walk in forgiveness. And so love and mercy that you choose to bestow upon others are often because of, as your sin is offense, an offense against God, these can be offenses against you where you will be required to show love and mercy. So the question I have for you, can you love someone who has hurt or manipulated you? Can you do that? Can you give someone mercy when you have the power maybe in their life? Say you're their boss. Say, say they are fearful over the actions you might take against them because they have done something wrong to you. 
but can you offer them mercy? Or are you going to want to make them pay for what they've done? I'm going to tell you a story. We're kind of, going to kind of be wrapping this up. When you can choose to love God's way. I have a close friend. His name is Scott. I'm going to get to see Scott later today because he's one of my friends from MOVE. Scott and I, we've traveled all over the world together. About seven years ago, he was riding his bicycle on a highway outside of Jefferson, Iowa. As he was riding, and it was early morning, he was hit from behind. And the car, when it hit him, threw him off into the ditch. And it was a young girl, and she had seen what she had done, and she got scared, and she decided to drive off. Scott laid there in that ditch, almost dead, for two hours before he was found. He went to the hospital, and there he recovered in the hospital. It took three months. The girl, during that time, she was eventually found and charged. And finally, there was that day where Scott was standing in front of her. She had to face him. And Scott went to her, and he hugged her. And he said, I want you to know I forgive you for what you've done. Through all the pain that Scott goes through every day, and I see it on MOVE projects, the pain that he's experiencing still on a day-to-day basis from this one accident, he makes it an effort at least once a year to have lunch or dinner with this young lady. He gets her family Christmas presents and delivers them to her. And he has stated clearly to her, it is the love of Jesus Christ that has allowed him to forgive her. And she serves Christ today because of it. Church, I want to be clear. Not just our actions, but our reactions can speak life or speak death to others. You and I, we can choose to reveal heaven or we can reveal hell by our responses. Are you hearing me, church? So if you choose to follow the Spirit of God and choose to neglect fleshly desires, God has the opportunity to be glorified in your life, but that is solely your choice. But it might come at a very difficult expense for you. So I want to encourage you, don't give in to your natural human desires and this temporary satisfaction because it may cause a huge eternal impact. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Church, I know and I understand the temptation, but let me tell you, church, transformation takes place with humble submission. That is what your Savior displayed for you on the cross. True love is where you completely give up yourself 
for someone else. That's true love. Can you do it? Because i got to tell you, church, eternity is too important. It's too important. And so we have to submit. And everything Paul talks about here, and I know how challenging this is, we read submit to government, you're like, don't like that. Then we read about loving others and understanding how love fulfills God's requirements, and you're like, you know what? I can love, but I, I like to love the people that are easy to love. And God's saying, no, you can't just do that. You've got you to even love those who have sinned against you. And it seems like this word is just pummeling us and challenging us. But then Paul transitions into something that he calls more urgent. And I want to read these three verses for you. It says, this is all the more urgent in Romans 13, 11. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up! For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day and we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. Church, it is so easy for us to look at our government and say they're doing what is wrong. It is so easy for us to look at our neighbor and say they're doing what is wrong. How can I possibly submit to all these things? And Paul's saying, whoa, hold on a second. There are more urgent matters here. What's in your life? And so what he is saying, it is time. Take off those dirty clothes. Take off that old self and clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3.23. It says, you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. If you are truly serving Jesus Christ, every morning when you wake up, you choose to wrestle against this fleshly battle and you put on those new clothes. You put on those clothes of Christ. They say putting on Christ every day, it's like a garment. You wake up and you make that choice. Are you gonna put on those old dirty clothes? Or are you gonna put on that new garment in Jesus? What I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads. And I want our prayer altar team to come forward today.
and you're hearing what you're doing is you're, you're, you're hearing. Some people only hear what they want to hear. You might walk out of here and you might say, man, all pastor talked about today was submitting to government. If that's all you heard today, then you did not hear the message. The message was about more urgent matters. And today you have a choice. What garment you're going to put on. How are you going to choose to live? And what I want us to do right now is I want us as we're, we're reflecting, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us right now. I want you to stand up because we're going to praise. But in our praise, what we're going to do, we're going to ask the Spirit of God to move us. And if you feel compelled to come down here because you've been wearing some dirty clothes, you've been allowing evil desires to take over, you have been allowing... To, to live in a life of sin. That can be anything. That could be a multitude of things. That could be just our anger and submission to others who have authority over us. That could be just giving into sin. That could be just waking up each and every day and not putting on Christ, but just following out your own desires. So understand that when you respond to this, there's, there's no judgment here. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what we do is, we are an encouragement to propel you forward, to show you a better way, to see you go in the direction that God would want you to go. And so, response to this is only a celebration in the kingdom of God. And so when you choose to walk forward, I believe heaven rejoices because you are making a public acknowledgement and decision. God, you've got a better way. My way doesn't work. And so what I want us to do, we're going to sing that song, Graves into Gardens. And as we do, if the Holy Spirit impresses upon you, say it's time. It's time to take off those dirty clothes. It's time to put on Christ. Put on the garment of Christ. That you come down and you say, God, I choose. I choose to put on Christ in my life.